Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Welcome to episode 106 of Americans Watching the Footy, our round 13 preview. This is the first round in which we won't have any overlap. So regardless of where you are in the world, in our case, we're on opposite sides of the United States. You'll be able to watch every game without having to, you know, bounce between screens or anything like that. You can do it all live. I'm Benjamin Castle in South San Francisco, California. And I'm Ethan Castle in Salisbury, Maryland. So... If you're wondering where that is, you know, the state of Maryland's kind of got a funny shape. It's kind of in that part that daggles off to the east part of the Delmarva Peninsula. So there's your um, somewhat regular, at least a few times a year, U.S. geography lesson. How many different places will you be staying on this trip, Ethan? Five. And I'll be recording from just two different ones unless we do our route recap immediately after King's birthday. Otherwise, it'll just do that like when we get home this is a weird part of the afl schedule because you've only got two teams on a bye this round those being geelong and gold coast we talked about their seasons thus far in our progress report episode which was released just before this one we also talked about the sir doug nichols round jumpers in that so check that one out if you haven't already particularly for the cats fans and sons fan out there The mighty son. I know you're somewhere, Suns fan. Remember last year we had talked about we thought there might have been some people that just like show up to both Suns and Giants games in Melbourne and just are like the expansion team fans. Yeah, I remember that. I I haven't you know seen anything about that yet this year. I hope that they're actually starting to grow natural fan bases. You know, see <laughs> they could be after thirteen and twelve years respectively. I love the idea of them like renting fans kind of like you know north korea borrowing people from china to be their fans at the world cup real thing that happened at least they don't have the far too synchronized chance like the north korean beauties at the winter olympics in the past unfortunately this is not you know americans watching the Iran mass games so that's about where we're going to end our north korea discussion and we're going to just plunge on into the footy discussing portion of our show how fascinating would it be if it actually turns out we have North Korean listeners that we somehow managed to get through there? That'd be pretty gangster, honestly. If so, hello, Kim Dynasty. And uh, goodbye, Sultan of Brunei. As I mentioned a few episodes ago now, this round starts with the Sydney Swans Pride game. So that's where the Sultan will turn things off, obviously. And uh, this is also the return of Thursday Night Footy as the Swans host the Saints. Yes, this one will get underway at 2.10 a.m. on the West Coast of the United States on Thursday, 5.10 a.m. on the East Coast, and 7.10 p.m. local time. 
that's going to be nice for you to be able to watch it just waking up early in the morning. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably go back to sleep after, but I will get to sleep some beforehand. Yeah, like like a sunrise game for for you and for Craig Wessels of a Yank on the footy and our other East Coast footy friends, Steve's in the Don on the Southeast, Lee in North Carolina. So this will be a Fox Soccer Plus game. The Swans enter at five and six. They're in 12th, coming out of the bye, having beaten Carlton in their last action. Saints at seven and four after that loss to Hawthorne before the bye. They are in fifth. And this will be a bit of a pretty significant game because it's going to be number 350 for one Lance Franklin. He will become the 22nd player in the history of the VFL and AFL to reach that milestone. And apparently he's had a lot of milestone games against St. Kilda in the past, too. So funny that the calendar shakes out for him to be able to do that again. Hopefully this will be a more entertaining contest than the Pride game that the Swans hosted last year. That was in round 15, also against the Saints. And St. Kilda mustered all of 32 points as they lost to the Swans by 51. It was St. Kilda's lowest score under Brett Ratton. Their lowest three-quarter time score in eight years and their worst three-quarter time score against the Swans franchise in over a century. I watched that game from Ohio, probably not terribly far from where Craig lives, actually. And it was just a very boring letdown after the excitement of the Cats beating Richmond that night. They also played in round 23 last year, where the Saints clearly had the best individual performers, but the Swans still won by 14. It was Dan Hanabury's finale. He said, fuck, that was cool. Max King kicked five goals, and I believe the Saints actually had all six Bravo votes of the game. I believe Hanabry was awarded best on ground. Cool that he also was able to play his final game against the Swans, with whom, you know, he was a premiership player, an All-Australian, and still a what-could-have-been case with how much he was hurt. Speaking of votes, I had never mentioned the coaches' votes from our Round 12 recap, and there were some interesting just distributions. There were a couple that were really close to a perfect, like, 10 8 6 4, 2 ballot. I'm just happy that Brian Myers got five votes. Yeah, I think there was a 9-9-6-3-3 in there. Uh, the GWS-Richmond game was like the entropy votes. You had Jack Revolt with seven, and then four different players with five, and then Tom Green with three. And it was Essendon and North that was 9-9-6-3-3. I think my favorite this year, though, was the 10-5-5-5, uh, whatever that was. Was that another Swans game? I don't recall, but I'd love to see a game where it's just like six different guys with exactly five votes, you know? That would be, I think, the best possible scenario. The Swans are going to have a couple of changes for this game. On the positive side, Dane Rampey is likely to return from his neck injury that's held him out since round four. And if he's there, Lachlan McAndrew will probably have to slid back into the reserves. I feel like Rampey could put Lewis Melikin at risk, though. Melikin was so important in these past couple wins for the Swans, providing that taller intercept who's actually able to play at fullback and keep Nick Blakey free. By the way, Blakey signed a seven-year contract extension through 2031. He is now the longest contracted player in the Australian Football League. To give you a perspective of how long that is, Bougainville should be a fully independent nation by then, going off the current timeline. And you'll be old enough to run for the presidency? Oh, yeah. Thing is, I've already got, like, enough gray hair, and you look at how much the presidency ages people. If I was president by the end of it, I would look, like, 90. Also, just living on the East Coast, 
not ideal for footy watching purposes and because like it could just randomly rain at any time. And we actually got a little bit of moisture today around mid-morning, which was strange for the start of June. The negative side of the changes for the Swans is that Luke Parker did have his suspension upheld for his dangerous tackle of Sam Walsh. So that opens the door for Dylan Stevens or Angus Sheldrick to return in the midfield. They've both put up steady numbers in the reserves since being dropped back down. It's also negative for drafting on the Dunny, my fantasy team. Meanwhile, I picked up James Robottom in free agency. I am keeping Parker. It would be dumb to get rid of him. Hopefully, Chad Warner has a big game to help compensate. The Saints will be without Hunter Clark for a month after a knee injury. We'd both liked his form this year. He had steady time after having dealt with various injuries the past couple years, and so that run of consistency will come to an end for him. However, their forward stocks are going to get a bit better as, well, maybe more than a bit better. Mitch Owens and Tim Memory could return from their concussions. Memory played in the VFL for Sandringham before the bye, maybe as a way to keep him in action. Have we seen a fully healthy forward line for the Saints all year? If so, it was maybe just one round. The more I think about who's going to be in this game, the more excited I am for it. You're excited? Feel these nipples! I mean, it's essentially resort to the battle in this and killed a four fifty, especially if you have, I mean, either a memory or Owens in, if not both, in addition to Max King, Anthony Caminiti. I'm so happy that I continue to be proven right about Caminiti's strengths. On the reserve side, somehow Marcus Windhaker still hasn't come in to the AFL squad. Maybe that loss last week, um, a couple of weeks ago to Hawthorne opens that up for him. Leo Connolly's also been playing well there, and Jack Billings is out for a month with a hamstring injury, so he will not be returning anytime soon. Yeah, he has yet to play this year at the AFL level. He'd been mentioned by Ross Lyon as you know a capable kick from half forward into 50, but they haven't found a spot for him. I think you gotta get Windhager in. Just if you needed an excuse, look no further than the game against Hawthorne, where they were just kind of inferior throughout the ground. Like they looked like a team in need of a bye. I'm of the belief that they've probably peaked early and their best footy is behind them for the year, but I still think they can finish the season more gracefully than they did last year and really contend for a final spot. And if they were to win this one, which I don't expect them to, wouldn't rule it out, would really give me a positive perception of them. As we're recording this, getting toward Wednesday evening in Australia, the Swans are favored by just over a goal, six and a half points. I do see the Swans winning this between it being in Sydney and the ins that they'll have for this game, the better form as of late. I can see this being a difficult matchup, though, and they're going to need to provide good support for the fullbacks of the defensive 50. Friday night footy is going to be a pretty sexy one. I think this round is kind of bookended by sexy matchups and the Bulldogs hosting Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium with Port Adelaide on a club record nine-game win streak is pretty enticing. This is also our first rematch of the season because they played in the Gather Round and it was absolutely pouring when they did in a game that the Power won by 14 thanks to a best on grab performance from Zach Butters and Todd Marshall and Jason Horn Francis having excellent fourth quarters. It was after that game, I think, that you saw the great conversation between Horn Francis and Ken Hinckley. Yeah, where it was like Hinckley was basically telling him, you're awesome, you can do this all the time. I believe it was. And Horn Francis has done that since. 
I'm glad Americans will be able to watch this game on Fox Sports 2 because we really like this matchup for how competitive it's tended to be and obviously what the storylines from this season bring into it. It'll be a 7.50 p.m. local start, so 7.20 p.m. for South Australian viewers and for Americans on Friday morning, 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific. It means after the game, I'll or maybe during halftime, I'll get some continental breakfast. Mm, I love being incontinental. I love being incontinent. I delight to the senses. Do Australians, I mean, I imagine some Australians would know about Key and Peele just because of what Jordan Peele has done since. Yeah, I feel like there are a decent amount of uniquely American references that they have. That is not one of them, but like, you have the East West Bowl, although Australians do love the NFL, so I feel like there's a decent chance that that's gotten around there. You know, I'm glad that this game will be played under a roof where hopefully hopefully it won't leak like the roof at the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium has done from time to time. Is that one of the reasons why the Major League is pushing for renovations? Yeah. Um, that round five meeting helped me conclude that it never just, like, there's no such thing as normal rain in Adelaide. It either is completely dry or absolutely dumping with no in-between. Like, light rain doesn't exist there. No, there is no, like, gentle mist. The Bulldogs come in in seventh at seven and five after losing to the Cats and also losing Ed Richards for four to six weeks with a hamstring injury. We've both been really impressed by Richards' work at halfback these past couple years and being really their most consistent defender in the back third alongside Liam Jones. The last couple of weeks, both the Suns and Cats have done a good job working around Jones. That's something that now the dogs are going to have to counter that and find a way to reinsert him into the game plan. Um, a lot of different defenders could come in to take Richard's spot. You go someone taller like Josh Bruce, you go Hayden Crozier, bring back in Alex Keith or Latham Vandermeer. Luke Cleary's another option. You could even elevate mid-season drafty Caleb Poulter, which would be pretty interesting. Personally, I would just probably bring Keith back in to begin with, probably just in place of O'Brien, but you may need a lot of tall defenders to go up against Port. Fortunately, the dogs have enough of those. You could have Rory Lobb slide back into the defensive 50 as more, more as well. One of the most curious coaching decisions of the past week was Luke Beveridge sticking Rory Lobb out on the wing. Now, I like the idea of a taller wing, but Lobb being out there for as long as he was didn't fit. It's not like, you know, Harry Mackay venturing toward a half forward flank to take marks and then continue moving the ball toward the forward 50. Lobb had a steadier spot there, and I question that. You can also, you know, have Caleb Daniel retreat into the defense in 50 sometimes. I know you've really like, I wouldn't put that out of the question because we know he can play back. I'm looking at Taylor DeRay as someone who really needs to have a good game. I haven't been super impressed with him this year, and now more of the spotlight's going to fall on him. On Port Adelaide's side, looks like they will be getting Travis Boak back from his rib injury and Charlie Dixon finally back from his quad injury. Now, Captain Tom Jonas was just omitted last week. He played in the sandful. Could come back in with how many talls the Bulldogs have. Yeah, looking at the defensive ranks for the power. This was one of the things that we highlighted when we were doing our home and away previews before the season began. The one thing that they're really missing is that, you know, really tall, bulky key defender. I mean, Alir Alir is an excellent mark and played very well in these past few games, but I don't like the idea of him, you know, trying to body up against someone like Jamari Hagen or Aaron Naughton for an entire game. And I think those types of players would be able to outskill someone 
like Tom Clurry. Jonas has shown his merit at fullback, I think, back to the brilliant game he had against the Sydney Swans last year. And I'd like to see him in, and I'd like to see him in top form after the suspension gave him some rest. You know, Alir, in a lot of ways, is like an airplane, much more useful in the air than on the ground. Also, Arthur Weasley probably doesn't know why Alir can stay up in flight either. Porter favored by two and a half. I've actually got the dogs winning this one. I feel like just Port's due for a loss, although I sure wouldn't mind if it's next week that they get that loss. I'd find it much more likely for Port to lose this one than to lose to Geelong at home out of the Cats' bye with Geelong's track record there. Although the Cats have won their last couple of trips there, but point stands. I'm going back and forth on this one a whole lot. This this is the kind of matchup that deserves to be a Friday nighter. You know, one of the things that makes this matchup so fun for me is that it's a pair of teams that really have different humps to get over, but have both you know been met with various obstacles since we got into footy. Whether it's the Dogs not being able to crack the top four, or Port having dominant home and away seasons and then struggling in finals. And we also have our doubts about both coaches in terms of in-game tactics, especially beverage. I think, I gotta say, I do like the way Ken Hinckley's done things this year, much more than in years past, but something tells me the Dogs win this one by about two goals. They're usually pretty good in those Friday night home games as well. Like a lower-scoring two-goal win, maybe. Kind of like this win they had over the Lions, maybe a bit higher scoring than that, but hopefully a bit more of an attractive game as well. I remember that Lions game because of how fun Artie Jones was on debut. I know he hasn't played as strongly these past couple weeks. There have been some Dogs fans calling for his omission. I hope he shuts those people up. He was pretty non-existent last week. And it's like, it was annoying because you know, they had 10 different goal scorers. And none of them were the one that even though he scores against my team, I cheer for. <laughs> I've got a special name for the three games that are being played this Saturday. So I was thinking about this round as like a restaurant. And then I was thinking about this Saturday set of games. It looks like a decent finale. The first two, probably not great. Could be decent. But, you know, if they don't deliver, it's not like you had super high expectations. So I am calling this Olive Garden Saturday. So where are the endless breadsticks? Um, it'll probably be endless Taylor Walker goals. I mean, his mustache is likely breadstick shape. Walker or Fogarty, either one could go off. Or Rochelle, I was thinking more about just like, you know, it's going to be fine. It's probably not going to be great. You know, it's food. Whereas a game that you expect to suck, that does suck, like, and against the Eagles, it's like, you know, you'll still watch because it's footy, but you didn't come in with high expectations. That's a subway game. I'd like to see where other restaurant chains fall on this spectrum. We might need to make a whole Reddit post about this. Well, I was thinking the game between Essendon and North last week, you know, you don't expect much. Actually, both games this past Sunday, I guess. Although, when I thought Richmond GWS could be good, but like Essendon versus North is like... That sandwich place that you never think of, and then you finally pop in once, and you know, it's like the size of a broom closet, but it's actually really good. It's like, you know, that bonny place that you never tried before, but actually turned out great. And then, you know, a really good matchup that's supposed to be good and ends up good. I don't know what to call that one. I know that a game that's supposed to be decent but ends up sucking, like Melbourne Carlton, is your overpriced steakhouse. Oh, it's the best prime rib and the best T-bone ever. And it's like, 
this sucks. And the only thing about this that was worthwhile at all was the guy with the oversized pepper grinder. Like I could have grilled something better at home. So Jacob Van Royen was the oversized pepper grinder. Yeah, Kazi Pickett. Now, for a game that's supposed to be good and is good, like that Dogs Power game or if the King's birthday game ends, I was hoping to go with some sort of chain that people would have heard of, but I can't really think of much. So I'm just going to refer to my personal favorite restaurant in the Bay Area, where I go in expecting a lot and it delivers every time. It's a place called Refuge. It's been featured on Guy Fieri's show. If you're ever in the Bay Area, go there. I cannot recommend this place enough. Yeah, it's like Montreal-style, kind of thick-cut pastrami and really cool European tap list. You will be impressed. Anyway, Olive Garden Saturday kicks off with Hawthorne hosting Brisbane at the MCG. This one gets underway on Friday night in the U.S., 8.45 p.m. Pacific, 11.45 p.m. Eastern, by which time I'll have settled into my hotel just outside Baltimore. In Melbourne, it'll be at 1.45 p.m. on Saturday, and in Tarawa, the capital of Kiribati, it'll be at 3.45 p.m. If you were wondering, I've been doing this for, like, one game per round. I just Google, like, country and include that. Yeah, so so uh, I guess Kiribati then would be on the same time as New Zealand. I think Kiribati covers multiple time zones, actually, because it's so spread out. How about, well, Tarawa would then. Remember, they have a Christmas island, not to be confused with the Australian one. That's actually kind of like what their name came from. Uh, watch Geography Now on YouTube if you want to actually like get a better understanding of that stuff. Great channel. When it comes to this Hawks-Lions game, the two big things that I'm thinking about are it's going to be Jack Gunston's first game back against the Hawks after requesting the move away last year. And then the horribly umpired slugfest that these teams played last year in a rare night game out in Launceston. It was... A 117-112 to Hawthorne win. The Lions' 112 was the highest losing score in four years. And 63 free kicks were awarded. It was the most in a decade. Any whistle that could have been blown was. I think the league has kind of adjusted since then. At times, it's just been like total anarchy where like nobody gets called for a high tackle. But I think there was a good understanding from all parties involved, that that game was above and beyond. Uh, the Hawks have actually won three straight meetings, even though the Lions have been the far superior team the last few years, though none of those meetings have been at the GABA, and this one also won't be. The Hawks enter in 16th. They're at 3-9, and nine, coming off the blowout loss of Port Adelaide. The Lions coming off their bye are 7-4. and four. In their last action, they lost at the Adelaide Oval, but to the Crows. And again, the Lions are over 2 this year at the Adelaide Oval. Is this their first action at the G this year? I think it is. I believe so, because they played Carlton and Marvel. Dang, so we haven't been able to really talk about, you know, their their struggles there, some of which were broken last year with the semifinal win, even though it's really more of a quarterfinal. I said my piece about how your names for playoff things don't match up with ours. I mean, who knows? That could have been an aberration with the beatdown that the Cats put on them the next week of the prelim. Yeah, that's why I'd like to see them play well at the G sometime at the end of the season to really believe in this team winning a flag. Yeah, they'll have the Ds there in a few weeks as well. You mentioned Jack Dunstan. I have no clue what sort of reception he gets. I hope it's positive. I mean, I feel like, you know, he did so well at Hawthorne, was on some great teams, and left for a non-rival. I feel like it would be really hard for people to kind of look at him negatively, unless it's like just like a joking thing. I mean, I, I love, like, 
goofy, sarcastic, like unserious booing. I think there will be some booing, but I don't think it will be too much. He played 211 games for the club, kicked 410 goals, three-time premiership player, best and fairest, all-Australian. He accomplished nearly everything you could accomplish with the club. The Hawks get James Sicily back this week. He missed the loss last week for that bump on Anthony Caminiti after, which was really the only blemish on what was probably one of the best games of his career, if not the best. Seamus Mitchell could come back in from his illness. Maybe, you know, there's been some rumblings, I guess, or at least Benjamin noted that there's a chance Lloyd Meek maybe comes out because the Lions are so fast. Also, Meek was subbed out last week, which magnified that a bit more. I saw that noted in uh, one of the Fox Footy articles as well, and I can understand why, even though, you know, it's going to be tough for any one Ruckman to match up against Oscar McInerney. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like if you're only going to have one true Ruckman to play against McInerney, you've got to have, like, a backup option somewhere else in the lineup that can slide in every now and then. That's, that's what complicates the list decision there, because Reeves can obviously have that center half forward role as well, while, you know, you could have Meek as that steadier Ruck option. You think about the more physical players against whom Meek was able to succeed last year when he was forced into top Ruck duty, and it complicates the decision further, along with a deep young list with Ken McKenzie having to sub last week, Ned Long and Max Ramsden searching for time. There were emergencies. Cooper Stevens putting up another strong performance for Box Hill and Josh Ward returning from injury. It's a good problem to have for an emerging team, but it's an annoying time for that problem to occur. You know, as I've said, considering the way they performed last week, you really have no reason to, you know, keep things the way they were. They did play much better in the second half. They kept Port even in the third but at the same time, you know, the margin was pretty significant. Yeah, I'm just, I'm calling for Cooper Stevens to get in. I've said it again and again. You know, he made the move to get more playing time. He's done everything right to earn it. Um, on the line side, there will be no Dane Zorko for this game. He is serving a one-game suspension for, I guess it wasn't officially gouging Luke Peddler's eye, but it was enough to earn him a suspension. No, no issue with that call. It was... It was a suspendable offense. Devin Robertson could return. He had 21 tackles two weeks ago in the VFL. Am I seeing that right? Yeah, he had 21 tackles in their game against Frankston a couple weeks back. Remember, the AFL record is 20, which Rory Laird set last year. He's a player that, as a West Coast Eagles fan, I am just hoping asks to be traded back home for more opportunities. He's been a fringe guy in terms of their AFL list these past couple years. Maybe with Zorko, being on the back end of things, he thinks he could get some more time there, but I want the Eagles to push for him. Because of how early this game is, there's no VFL curtain raiser. They're playing like about an hour and a half earlier or an hour 40 earlier out at Box Hill, but stucks because that is a VFL game that I would legitimately want to see. I wouldn't be shocked if some of the most ardent fans have it on their phones as the game is beginning at the G. I feel like there are a decent amount of Hawks fans that, considering where their club is, would probably rather just see the VFL game and get a good glimpse of the future, which I totally get. Um, Jack Payne is set to return, which I would assume he would just come in for Ryan Lester. That seems pretty obvious. Payne, Starsvich, Andrews, Gardner, that mix of four seems like the right tall mix. Maybe Starsvich venturing a little more forward to have more of a physical man role against a center half forward. Lester is another fringe player who's been that next man up in defense for a number of years now, but isn't as steady 
one-on-one. We saw that these past couple weeks. The Crows really punished that. Jack Payne is a solution to that problem. Andrews had a whopping five touches in the loss to the Crows. I can't imagine he does that again. I, I'm going to say, like, bare minimum, he gets, like, what, 16 in this game? I don't know. That could be a little high, depending. It all depends on the kind of matchup that he gets. Lions favored by 25 and a half. I can see them bringing this out closer to 40. Yeah, I feel like I'd, I'd be keen on getting them to cover in this one. Nothing against the Hawks, of course, but you see where these clubs are at and how well the Lions should match up, especially with Payne back in and how Althorn can get punished on the rebound like Port did so well last week. And this could get ugly. The Hawks have played consecutive bad games a couple of times this year, and I feel like it's not just going to be one bad game. I feel like this is going to be another and then out of the bye against the Suns. They'll look more competitive. The Crows and Eagles are the middle game on Saturday at the Adelaide Oval, a 4.05 p.m. local start in Adelaide. So 2.35 p.m. for Western Australian viewers and 4.35 p.m. in the Pacific States. For Americans, 2.35 a.m. Eastern, Saturday the 10th, 11.35 p.m. Pacific, Friday the 9th. It's a Fox Soccer Plus showing. And out of the double-ups that the Eagles had last year, the games against the Crows might have honestly been the most compelling. That's kind of more reflection on the others being so bad. Partially, the Eagles did not start well in that round 12 game, got outplayed really badly in the first quarter, and played pretty evenly beyond that. I also remember right before the final siren, Taylor Walker taking a really nice spark. But it's the round 21 game in Perth that stands out more. That was Josh Kendi's finale. And even though the Eagles lost that game by 16, Kennedy kicked 8-2. And the outpouring of love for Kennedy that day was just amazing. I got some great photos and videos from the occasion from our family friends out there who are members. It was the sort of game that you can totally have if you're a bad team at the end of the season where it's like, we're just going to give everything to one guy. Like, if you were contending, you couldn't do that. You look at the way that various Josh Kennedys ended their careers. And I mean, I'd rather be on the team that, you know, makes it to the grand final. But there's an individual perks to being uh, in that situation. And Eagles, Josh Kennedy, whose middle initial I forget, definitely today. And he's not the one who played in the Carlton draft this year. That was Josh P. Kennedy who tore it up for Murabit this past week. And did not lose by 119. No, of course. <laughs> I still can't believe that King Corns lost by 119. That number will follow him forever. For the Crows, we know that Tom Dude is done for the year with a ruptured ACL. This is the other ACL. I believe this is this is his right knee. He had ruptured the one in his left knee in the opening round of 2019. Josh Worrell is a logical replacement. He played decently well around 11 and looked like he was pretty good in the Sandful last week where Harry Schoenberg was also very good and I'd love to see him. And, you know, this is the matchup where you could rest people and that would get the lovable, fluffy Harry in the game. Had Walker not been out for a couple weeks, I would say this is a clear case where you could rest him. I could really see them managing Rory Sloan for this one. Don't think he's had a game off since he's come back in. And, you know, this is a sort of, to borrow the NBA term, load management that would make sense for someone who had 
that ACL injury last year himself. So that would open up a spot for a more physical midfielder and for Jake Saligo to have more of that bruising role as well, where we both really like him. I think I'm the bigger Saligo fan of us two. I like him more kind of a little bit further up the ground, kind of like it playing around the edge of the forward 50. But I've liked his performance, certainly been an eye-opener this year. He was someone I really didn't think of that much altogether in past seasons. It looks like Shane McAdam, in his return from a quad injury, will play in the reserves this week. And then Ned McHenry was the sub last week. I wouldn't find him in that role again. I think he's pretty good at it. They also had Sam Barry and Braden Cook among the emergencies. I found Sam Barry to be such an interesting player to watch last year for being mostly a tackler and I guess kind of supplementing Rory Laird in that spot. I don't know what his long-term role is, though. He's been struggling to get minutes this year. He's from Mafra, which is a ways east of Melbourne, so maybe when he comes out of contract, you could see him try to look for more opportunities closer to home. I feel like you don't have as many players wanting to go home from South Australia as you do from Perth, but could happen. Speaking of Perth, uh, the West Coast Eagles, their injury list. I saw a graphic from this week that showed, you know, the 18 that you could make out of the current outs for the West Coast Eagles. And I take it over their current team any day because Bunga's going to be out again. Shannon Hearn did his hamstring and was ruled out at quarter time. Connor West hurt his knee. Callum Jamison has a hip injury. Elijah Hewitt got concussed by Jordan Degoe. Liam Duggan has a suspension from a dangerous tackle of Taylor Adams, which it's pretty questionable, but they decided not to challenge it because he's ill and in the hospital. I'm assuming it sounds like it was just, you know, to monitor him. So maybe there was some dizziness or lightheadedness or it's just a hydration thing. All possibilities. Also, Tom Barris won't return this week between hip flexor and quad issues. So right move for me to drop him last week in fantasy. I picked up Isaac Quinter, who got me a nice 92 points out of defense. Hopefully Tom's healthy enough to be able to return after the bye. You know, who won't return after the bye or at all this season or maybe ever is Nick Nandui. He's officially been ruled out at this point. I find it frustrating that the club couldn't do that before the midseason draft to be able to get another selection there. I feel terrible that, you know, this is the way his career may end. He's deserving of so much more. I feel terrible that he wasn't able to get that premiership medal either with the injury he suffered in 2018. Such a fun and universally liked player. It's. I hope to see him stay involved in the game, whether it's coaching or a TV spot. I remember enjoying the work he did in some West Australia 7 network broadcasts when he was sidelined in 2021. Plus, we need more TV personalities like of players that aren't just forwards because it's so many forwards. And I mean, Jason Dunstall is obviously phenomenal, but... And and so is Eddie Vance, but like I'd love to hear more perspectives from defenders and midfielders. That's why I like hearing from Luke Hodge and Sean Burgoyne so much on the seven broadcast. I really like both of them. Hodge's a natural. So who could be in and out of that injury 18 for the Eagles? Well, sounds like the captain, Luke Shuey, between his ankle and hamstring issues, he's missed a few rounds. He could be back in. Speaking of Luke's, Luke Edwards will be out of concussion protocol. And then Sam Petreski-Seaton, whose cousin Crystal designed the Sir Doug Nichols round jumpers, which are stunning, should be available. Here's a question. Will Elliot go get through a full game? Because I can never pick him up in fantasy because, like, you just can't count on him playing a full game. And it's something that he's talented. 
I think he'll get through a full game this round, and then coming out of the bye round 15 is when he'll go down again. Bonus question. Will I will I sleep during this game, or will I be entertained enough to really make an effort to power through it? I think you're going to sleep through the second half, at least, because the margin's going to be worked out enough. I hope that I'm wrong. I'm hoping that guys like Shuey, Petrovsky, Seaton, Greg Clark bring some fight. Clark was itching to you know, rough it up with Dugowie after the hit last week when he was on the bench at the time. He was the sub last week and could be elevated. I've liked what I've seen from Clark, really willing to attack the ball. And hopefully they're able to, you know, keep Campbell Chesser in the waffle and help bring up his minutes that way. And that seems like it's the club's plan, but injuries may force their hand otherwise. Hopefully they back in Clark and the players who are listed as likely can actually play so that their youngsters could be on the right timeline. These teams will also play round 24 at Optus Stadium. So the last four seasons in which there's been a full schedule with double ups, they will have done so, which making an effort to have the Perth teams have a couple of trips that aren't as far because they put on the fucking miles. Give me a West Coast versus Adelaide preseason game in Eucla, you cowards. Even in a preseason contest, I might tip the Crows to cover the 58 and a half point spread. All right, with that, we are at the halfway point for this round, so we are going to take a quick break and then get right back at it with the previews of the other four games, including the last one on this Olive Garden Saturday. Welcome back. Don't forget, we are on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Funny. Every now and then, we'll have some like exclusive bonus content on YouTube, usually in the form of a short, you know, pointing out something interesting, like in a play or comparing something. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. That's Castle with a K. I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. And Grian Harambe, America's footy cat, is on Instagram a cat named Grian. And I think he's just currently on your counter right now. He really enjoys just kind of sitting up there on your counter and being super affectionate. He doesn't really sit in the sink much anymore. That was a fun thing he used to do a ton of. Yeah, but it's to the point that we've started calling that counter the Be Nice Counter started it's it's been uh it's been going on for a while i mean he hasn't been here for oh that long it's what a little over two and a half years yeah but it's we've had the term for at least a year all right oh he's coming back in he's probably in play mode all right our final game on olive garden saturday is what should be the most intriguing matchup Fremantle hosting richmond at optus stadium been a lot of fun matchups in recent years between these teams including the only draw of the 2022 season. That was in the craziest round we've ever seen, round 19. Both teams scored 7-10-52 out at Marvel Stadium. That game was defined by two Richmond errors. Noah Balta waited too long to take a set shot. The 30 seconds expired, and Michael Frederick rushed in to smother his kick. That was inside the final two minutes. And then... Right before the final siren, Noah Cumberland marks for Marlon Pickett. The siren sounds and he plays on. And Cumberland is a long kick, too, on the left foot. And it was from straight on. In 2021, they also played an interesting game in round 20 that Frio won by four. 7-13-55 to 6-15-51. I remember watching that one from St. Louis, Missouri. Or just outside of St. Louis, technically. In Missouri, though? Yes. Aha, it was actually Hazelwood was the name of the suburb. I was right that it was close to the airport. Anyway, this meeting is your typical Saturday night game. It's going to be a seven broadcast and an FS2 game. Uh, seven's got five of the eight games this round. They Thursday, have- Friday, 
this one, King's Birthday Eve, and King's Birthday itself. The only ones they don't have are the first two of Olive Garden Saturday and the first Sunday game. This is going to be Daniel Rioli's 150th game. Gets underway at 5.25 p.m. local time. Should get a good sunset, what, like end of the first quarter-ish? Uh, 7.25 p.m. in Australia's eastern states, 2.25 a.m. on the west coast of the United States, and 5.25 a.m. on the east coast. Dockers coming off the bye. They are 6-5, and five, having won four of their last five. Richmond at 4-7-1, and one, finally having won a tight game over GWS. Tigers in 13th, Frio in 10th, but by you know points percentage, they'd be in the 8 if you extrapolate everything. Going to be some ins and outs for this game that are going to test Frio's depth. Jager O'Meara suspended one game for a dangerous tackle of Charlie Spargo that took forever at the tribunal. By the way, I just want to mention how much fun David Zeta is on Twitter. He knows that he's like able to fuck with people while providing an important service and does it in like the best way. Uh, this just in, the tribunal is still deliberating. He should just tweet that like, you know, every minute during one of these, like be a super troll. I want him to just randomly tweet it sometime during the off season. See how people react. Oh, I'm going to do that with the pies are still a chance to win this one. If they come back to win the grand final, you will never hear the end of it. Sean Darcy will be out this week with his hamstring injury. We don't know how far beyond that. Looks like it'll be Luke Jackson with some support from Josh Tracy there. Though you could also tap into your depth and bring in someone like Josh Corbett or Peel's current leading goal scorer, a South Sudanese product, 2022 midseason pick, Sebit Kuek. I am always in favor of watching more South Sudanese players because they're awesome athletes. So that would be my choice just from a what do I enjoy watching perspective. The difficulty of Darcy's out is mostly that it moves Jackson away from the steadier role he's had at center half forward. So it's, you know, figuring out where things fall in that mix. Do you have Jaimus come a little bit further up because he's a longer kick? Do you bring in Sam Sturt into your 22? He was the sub last round. Didn't seem to be much of an issue in that game against the D's. So maybe he just kind of does like, you know how Matt Rowell for the Suns has just kind of he's gotten two Miller's touches as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Jackson just says like, fuck it, I do everything. Maybe the fact that it works so well with Sturt in there is a reason for him to stay. I mean, I, I'd back in Sturt. I'd back in Matty Johnson in the midfield. You know, it, it feels terrible, you know, looking at the guys that they have who are having trouble again with this right now. Will Brody easily the most surprising of those. I know Liam Henry's played well down at the reserve level, but I haven't seen any reason to think he needs to be one who's brought in. I would love for him to prove me wrong. I just don't expect it. Tigers should be much steadier in terms of their list for this week. There's some doubt in Dylan Grimes' availability after getting some work done on his shoulder, but Nick Flawstone is likely to return after having missed the last couple games with a court leg. So maybe he comes in for Dylan Grimes. If not, it seems like Tyler Young would be the first one out of that group if Dylan Grimes is healthy. They've gotten much healthier to the point where Tyler Young is now you know, kind of on the fringe instead of like, he's got to be in just because we don't have guys. Still looks like it could be a month or more for Josh Gibkus, unfortunately. I remember he did have a setback during his recovery from his hamstring injury. I believe there was some infection involved there. Speaking of hamstrings, Morris Raley Jr. is recovering from a hamstring issue of his own. He could also be available, but with how well the forward half worked last week, they may opt to run him through the reserves first. And I'd completely understand that if so. 
They had no issue scoring last week. Their rebound was really strong, and I liked when Liam Baker slid into more of a halfback and midfield role, helping accelerate some of that play because he'd spent much of the first half in the forward 50. Baker's ability to cover all parts of the ground is what makes me enjoy him so much as a player, and I hope he really turns up for this one back home in the West. Frio favored by 11.5. I see this as a close game. I would imagine on the lower scoring end, Seems to kind of be the trend between these teams. This game has one of the lower over-unders of the round, uh, 163 and a half. I feel pretty good about that under, although I see this flowing game with a lot of running. I think that's the less likely outcome. I feel like it's not going to be close on the over-under. It's either going to be like a solid 15 points under or more, or it's like blows past the over. I would love for this to be a high-scoring game because it would mean that both teams are really gunning it through the corridor, which they're both certainly capable of. Do Rio want to test Richmond in their running ability, or do you see them slowing things down? You know, not entirely to freeze mantle, but, you know, to a more moderate pace where you can allow more wing action for someone like Nathan O'Driscoll to handle the ball well. It's just funny because last year, I think O'Driscoll utilized more of his speed, and this year they've had him involved in slower passages. I mean, he's still been effective. It's just been like it has a different sort of role. Yeah. It hasn't been better or worse. It's just been different. I'd like seeing more dimensions of this game. Do you have any prediction for this one? I'll tip Frio by a couple goals. I I do think this one is on the lower end. I can almost think of this like a like a men's college basketball game where first to 70 wins. I think I am going to hit that under, put a few dollars on it, give me something to, something to really care about within this round. Two games on Sunday, and it starts later than normal. Yeah, I might just sleep before this one. I'm going to be at the Orioles game Saturday afternoon, and then that night, you try to get in, like some early rest and then watch the two games with special programming alert bounce in between the two. Do the Olive Garden vibes go into Sunday for this one with North and GWS out in Tasmania? No, I think this game is an absolute mystery. It's the brand new restaurant that has like no reviews. Or it's like, you can't tell anymore because the restaurant's under new management. Yeah, considering the coaching situations, that's actually like a good comparison. I, I was having this conversation at work the other day. You know, a lot of places with a series of bad Yelp reviews, you can't just buy it wholesale because oftentimes if it's bad enough, they'll make a change. Look at the most recent reviews. And there's actually a guy I watch on YouTube. He is from Slovakia, Peter, who like he does you know, the worst reviewed restaurants and hotels and bars and such in Eastern Europe. And like at least half of them, it's, oh, it's actually not that bad. It's been recently renovated or under new management or both. Sometimes they are as bad as advertised, which makes for good content. This is just North's second game out of Blundstone Arena this year. They have a more back-ended schedule there, whereas Hawthorne have played more early games in Tasmania. It'll be a 3.20 p.m. local starts that typical, you know, normally middle Sunday slot. But it's the first game on Sunday this week. For Americans, 1.20 a.m. Eastern Sunday, 10.20 p.m. Pacific Saturday on Fox Soccer Plus and Watch AFL. Even though these teams are a combined 6-18, and 18, there's some juice in this one. They're only a couple spots off each other on the ladder. They both played well in one goal losses this past week. Despite being undermanned in both cases, North lost Jai Simpkin and Hugh Greenwood to concussions against Essendon, and Luke Davies-Uniak isn't back in yet. Meanwhile, the Giants are down defensively, 
and put up a good fight to the end against Richmond. Only lost that one in the final half minute. As I've said, I think the gap, you know, GWS is probably the number 15 team this year. But the gap between 16 and 15 is much bigger than the gap between 15 and 14. That said, I can see this being a pretty tight game. North, two with our last three games, very winnable. GWS playing competitive games just about every week, aside from that one against Collingwood, really. This will be the third straight year and the fourth time in five years that these teams will be meeting in round 13. So is this just a typical King's Birthday matchup? I'm not sure. But uh, last year, the Giants won at Marvel Stadium by 49. In 2021, round 13, they tied in their last meeting out in Tasmania. Both teams scoring 14-10-94. So North's going to have to fill some spots with Simpkin and Greenwood out, as you said. Uh, Daniel Howe and Ben Cunnington have played well in VFL. Cunnington could be in a midfield role rather than a defensive role. That would be interesting. And then Charlie Lazaro and Paul Curtis could also be considered. Remember, Curtis was dropped as his reward for kicking the best goal of round 11. I mean, as, as it should be, right? Yeah. You're so good, you get to go you get a week off, basically. I don't hear any complaints. I think it's just hard to hear them from you know halfway around the world. Or the country, in your case. I mean, I'm still about halfway around the world from them. Yeah, I guess. Meanwhile, another thing that hurt the Giants last weekend will hurt them this week. No binga. Brent Daniels hurt his hamstring and was subbed off at halftime. We don't know if it's going to be anything beyond this week. Hopefully it's more minor because he's been one of their biggest live wires this year. Finally had a run of healthy games. And hopefully this isn't a huge setback for either him or the rest of the team. Hey, they still put up 104 with him going down, which I think is something to build off. I love the work the two Tobys have done together. I really like his game overall. Daniels and Bedford are that are the you know the smaller, faster type that can really help that orange tsunami happen going toward the half forward flanks and into the forward 50. On the positive side, Nick Haynes should be available, being able to exit concussion protocol, having trained enough. An infection that was not related to his you know, concussion at all meant that he wasn't able to be in for round 12. Yeah, an infection related to a concussion would be really bad. Maybe you would have like some of the like bacteria that you find in some of those hot springs where it's like, don't put your head under the water. I knew New Zealand has some of those. Oh, yeah, the bacteria, like uh, the prions, things like that. Yeah. The only way I could think of like an infection that's related to a concussion is like if there's like a gash on the head that results from the contact too, and that gets infected. Josh Fahey could get elevated this week. He did well as a sub. I know a couple of the Instagram pages really like him. I think AFL Central, mixing it up with someone else. I think it was AFL Central. I like multiple things about him, including the fact that he wears long sleeves and kicked a long first goal. Looks like Cameron Fleeton and Harry Rouston are candidates to come back up after playing well in the reserves. Giants are favored for this one by 15 and a half. And you know what I like about this game more than anything? Something I might not expect? I'm pretty much guaranteed to be happy at the final siren because either big, big sound, North finally get a win that they've been so close to the last couple rounds. Remember, they've lost 10 straight. Or we get a draw for the second time in three years of this matchup. Yeah, we we kind of can't lose here. Kind of love this. As long as players stay healthy in this one, I'll be happy. And we're also going to learn more about these teams. I think you'll learn, I mean, obviously, you know, when the bottom teams have to really test their medal against the top teams, you learn about who's viable right now. But when it's teams in 
the same section of the ladder playing against each other, I think you could get a lot more out of it, especially, you know, with players on the younger end with in terms of prospects. You know, I am still of the belief that GWS is not quite the same category as North. I think they're better. Like if I had to guess the outcome of this game, I'd see them winning by like three to four goals. But again, considering North's recent form wouldn't rule anything out. Hopefully losing Simpkin and Greenwood doesn't hurt them too much. It's also possible that just missing Simpkin, Greenwood just piles on and it gets ugly. I wouldn't rule that out either. And maybe that's the reason to push the line out a little farther. Have you ever heard of King's Birthday Eve? No, because it's new this year. Yeah. And hopefully people aren't, you know, super upset about like the league and these clubs trying to make something new happen like they like they sometimes are with Anzac Eve. Quick question. Do you know when the King's actual birthday is without looking? Oh, yeah. Um, I actually do remember this because I because I saw something about it recently. But yeah, the, the King's birthday holiday has been celebrated in the second Monday of June in most of Australia for a while. I know Victoria in particular. The holiday, I think, is actually different for the monarch in the West, but I believe King Charles III's birthday is sometime in November. That is correct. In fact, it's November 14th. He'll be turning 75 this year, and that's just a couple weeks before the legendary Eaton Wall game. Ah, yes, we'll pay close attention to the future prime ministers battling it out then. As for King's birthday, it'll be Carlton technically hosting Essendon at the MCG. This one gets underway at 5.15 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States and 2.15 a.m. on the West Coast. 7.15 p.m. local time on Sunday night. I love that we have Sunday night football. I love that it's prime time Sunday night as well because, I mean, this is just very rare unless Anzac Day falls on a Monday. 7.15 p.m. is not a normal time for the footy at all, but they're maximizing having the upcoming holiday on a Monday. Again, it's I've said before, like, it's weird closing the round with just like an ad game instead of a big one. I mean, I know Sunday is, you know, country footy, but I feel like a Sunday night game could work. I, I guess maybe people don't like going out and then going to work the next day. But anytime we've been able to end the round with a big game, it's been fun. We certainly do have a big game to end this round, but this one's intriguing as well. Hopefully this does become entrenched as a tradition. You know, it's funny, these are both teams that kind of split their games between the G and Marvel. I feel like Essendon more so to Marvel, but when these two get together, it's always at the G. Yes, this will be the 55th consecutive meeting between Carlton and Essendon at the MCG since 1994, and the 59th of 60 since 1993. They met in 1993 four times, twice at the home and away, the qualifying final and the grand final that Essendon won. And then their first meeting in 94 was at Waverly Park. But otherwise, they've only played at the G these past three decades. And yes, that includes 2020 when they played at an empty G in round four. This has to be the longest streak at this point then because of how many of those got compromised by 2020. Yeah, I remember Collingwood and Carlton playing at the Gabba, for example. When these teams met last year, Essendon came out flat in their 150th anniversary game and lost by 26. That was very disappointing. And then that was a wake-up call. I remember they had generally better form for the rest of the season beyond that. The Blues have won the last three meetings, but Essendon entered two and a half games ahead of Carlton because they're at seven and five and sixth after having to sweat it out against North. The Blues four, seven and one in 14th after losing to Melbourne. Richmond are ahead of Carlton on percentage. They have lost seven of eight games and the one win was over the Eagles. 
So you could basically say they've lost seven in a row. They've lost seven games and had a bye. Yeah, then again, Port Adelaide lost to the bye in 2011. Oh, and that most recent win before the Eagles was against North. Really, their only, like, good win. I mean, I guess in hindsight, winning at GWS is actually a decent one, and they should have won that one by a lot more. And the win over Geelong was solid, although that was not a complete team they played against. I, I hate that we don't play them again. I think we'd beat the shit out of them. And I feel confident saying that because I feel like the odds of both the Cats and Blues being in the finals is almost zero. If Geelong and Carlton played again, the Cats would end Michael Voss's whole career. That would be that would be hysterical. George Hewitt's still in concussion protocol, so Carlton will likely be without him. We'll see about Mark Pitnett and Jack Silvani. Silvani's got a hip injury. Pitnett's got a hand injury. So could make things difficult in the middle, especially on center bounces would kind of make Andrew Phillips more unnecessary in that case, and it could basically just be the Sam Draper show. Sam Draper against Tom DeConing. As much as I like TDK, I like Draper's chances in that. Speaking of DeConing, sounds more and more like it's a possibility he is reunited with Sam, although St. Kilda could also be in the mix for him. Uh, The Herald Sun seems to be leaning heavily towards two players from this game heading to Geelong. Deconing and Darcy Parrish. Let's see what the price point is on that. That'll be that'll be fun to watch these these trade talks again. It is funny that you know these talks go on mid season, even though nobody gets traded until after the season. Like I feel like like I get the arguments both for and against mid season trades, but it would be kind of funny, you know. Like say say someone got traded from Carlton to Essendon this week and then went out there and right away played against his former team. I think that would be awesome. You want to get an entire MCG booing people? That's the way. Um, is this finally the week that Jackson Bins debuts, Ethan? Pick 32 from last year. Put up another really strong performance in the reserves. 35 disposals and 9 marks. He's had one hit or more disposals in 7 of his past 8 games in the VFL. Maybe he's a ghost, like Professor Bins. Okay, we've already got a nickname for him then. Yeah, I mean, if Zach Toohey is Reg because of Reg Catterwell, I feel like I feel like Professor Bins is a much more memorable character, or at least he was around much more, even if he didn't do that much. Whereas Catterlull, you know, he wasn't involved much, but he was an important character in his brief time. I find it so funny that that, that was the inspiration for Sam Doherty to nickname Zach Tui, Reg fucking Catterlull. Speaking of redheads like Tui and his nicknamesake, uh, Peter Wright, anybody? Two-meter Peter could make his season debut. Sounds like he was actually available for round 12, but Brad Scott didn't want to change the forward combination. My question then is, does he decide to play right alongside Sam Wiedemann and Kyle Langford, or does Langford get squeezed back into defense then? Langford's a really versatile piece, got great instincts. You saw the play that he had to bat the ball between his legs, getting that second-to-last touch before Massimo D'Ambrosio's game winner this past week. And then D'Ambrosio, is he the super sub or is he a 22 inclusion? D'Ambrosio came in when Dylan Shield was subbed out. Might be a recurrence of the ankle injury. Not entirely clear on what it is, but sounds like he could be out again. Speaking of Sam Wiedemann, he is a new addition to the zero bounce team. He has never bounced in 69 games. Nice. Also introduced the team Tom Hickey, none in 141, and Max King none in 62. I feel like uh, King especially of like the non-Ruckman could be there for a long time. What is your take though on the Massimo situation? 
He's been the sub each of the past three weeks. They've won all those games. He was subbed out the game before that against the Brisbane Lions. Where do you see his fit right now? I don't know. It's such a tough spot where it's like, you know, we've heard broadcasters say how, like, you don't want to be too good in the sub role or else they keep sticking you there. Toby Bedford, anyone? I mean, as we said with Bedford, it's also like he's now at a club that fits his style better. Where I don't think like D'Ambrosio is at a club that doesn't really fit the way he plays. I mean, I would like to back him in defensively with like Brandon Zerk after struggled, for example. I still think they could make some major changes defensively, especially after giving up 99 last week. And I think getting him in there as a full-time defender would work. And then, you know, because he's shown flexibility and the ability to play in different spots, you know, when you activate a sub, you can kind of slide him around based on the game situation, who gets subbed out. I think that's how I would do it. Essendon have some decent depth. You know, do you see these guys performing well at the VFL level? The question is, are some of these I and Cade Baldwin, Tex Wanganeen, are they AFL ready or are they kind of just in between right now on the fringe of sort of like the baseball terminology as a quadruple A player? I like Nick Bryan. I know he's had a couple of pretty weak games, but I generally have liked his performances overall. Give it a year or two and he'll supplant the need for Andrew Phillips, I'll say. I was very glad that was back to his typical self while getting a number of tackles and a goal as part of a busier game. The most exciting thing in Essendon's VFL outing, though, which they narrowly lost to North out at the hangar, the most exciting thing was seeing Elijah Sadas making his VFL debut pick number five from this year. He had had knee surgery and will remain in the reserves for a time to build up his form. I imagine we'll see him at the AFL level before season's end, though maybe something similar to how George Wardlaw was built up in the VFL before making his AFL debut a few weeks ago and showing up the league ever since, despite, you know, being on North. Is his nickname already Sawdust? I feel like they need to be a more abstract one than that, though. Uh, Buzzsaw? Something something related to, or saw blade, or just blade, or maybe the manufacturer of a saw blade. Um, let's see, hang on. Ooh, I got it. Varna. <laughs> I love it. You know, so many of these Australian nicknames are tangential like that. It's like how the term Falcon emerged from one rugby player that got hit in the head with the ball once. Or Seppo. So I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm going to go Varna. I feel like it's easier to say than Husk Varna. So I'm going Varna. And I don't think Husky would work. Yeah, I like Varna a lot better. I think it's funnier. Essendon are favored by a point and a half, just a little bit more than you get for having a crack. You get a point just for having a crack. That seems really low to me, considering... Carlton's form and the outs that they've got still. Yeah. Um, the over under, this is the second lowest only ahead of Sydney and St. Kilda, which is kind of crazy when you look at these two teams, you look who they have and you just, you know, Essendon, they're not a great defensive team. They can score like crazy, but look at, look at who they're up against. I see an opportunity here for Carlton to write the ship somewhat. It will be really funny if they don't, but it's a possibility. I'll take Essendon and I think they'll break a hundred and Carlton score. I think Carlton will have double-digit behinds. I'm not sure about goals. All right. I think right now, penciling Carlton for double-digit behinds each week is like a very, very easy, unimaginative move, but also probably a smart one. This round finishes off with, I mean, I thought last year's King's birthday was a big deal. I think this could be the most anticipated King's birthday match basically ever. Melbourne and Collingwood at the MCG, of course. 
The D's in third at nine and three. The Pies in first at 11 and one. It doesn't get much better than this. Technically, it's a D's home game, but it probably will not look like it or sound like it, considering that D's fans are generally on the quieter side, had a lot of flack for how dead they were during the game against Carlton last week. Not that it was an exciting game. And Collingwood fans, obviously, large in number. Large in number, large in decibels. This will be a Fox Sports 1 game, which is awesome. I am going to really try to annoy every American possible into watching this. You're not alone. And also, you know, this being the big freeze game as well, gives me another thing to talk about with how like, hey, remember the Ice Bucket Challenge? It's kind of the reverse and it's way cooler. It's the Ice Bucket Challenge if it was fun. So it's the Australian Ice Bucket Challenge. And if it actually raised awareness about something and did some good instead of just be a dumb thing you posted on Instagram. Anyway, this one gets underway 10.20 p.m. on Sunday on the West Coast, 1.20 a.m. Monday on the East Coast, and 3.20 p.m. local time. It is, I haven't heard anything about attendance, but I would hope they get like 80,000 plus of this game, if not even more. This is a fully ticketed game and it has been sold out for a couple weeks, I believe. Believe it or not, it's a, uh, it was a, you know, Queen's birthday game back in 1958 that saw the greatest ever crowd for a home and away game. 99,256. That's why this year's Anzac game didn't set the record. I don't know if we get, we can really approach that, but I think I'd be shocked if attendance doesn't hit like the low to mid 80s. Considering where these teams stand, I hope it cracks the 90s. The D's said in mid-May they're expecting 90,000. It would also be a fun way to show Americans like, hey, this is a big fucking deal because as good as the Melbourne Fremantle game was, like, you know, there were a lot of empty seats for that. That would be a great game to do in Alice Springs, by the way. Melbourne and Fremantle in Alice Springs? Yeah, I could see it. Last year, Collingwood swept the head-to-head meetings with this team. In fact, they've won three straight meetings overall. They won in 2021 at Sydney in what I believe was Nathan Buckley's final game. Yeah, that was a pretty significant upset there was Buckley's finale. They definitely lifted for him. They have won seven straight meetings in Melbourne. The 2020 meeting did go to the D's, a 56-point beatdown at the Gabba. Those meetings last year, on the King's birthday, Collingwood won by 26. That was win four in their 11-game win streak. Brody Majacek kicked four straight. He tends to have really good performances against the D's, so I'm glad that I have him in my fantasy lineup for this week. Clayton Dolfer won the Neil Danaher trophy, despite two of the three judges naming Mason Cox best on ground. The other, I don't believe, gave him a vote. Mason started off the game poorly, but came alive in the second half and broke 20 disposals for the first time in his career. Then in round 21, phenomenal game. Collingwood won that one by seven points. Ash Johnson's last goal was ultimately the game winner. He kicked four straight, as did Jamie Elliott. That was the last of Collingwood's 11-game streak. Thinking of Ash Johnson, this, that was another one of those games where we realized, gee, this guy makes any goal that he kicks fun. Set shots at the most ridiculous angles. Like, I, I compare that to, like, Bailey Fritch, who's damn good at what he does, but is one of the least exciting players. Like, he kicked six goals in the grand final in 2021. You don't remember any of those goals. You remember the the bang, bang, bang stuff, the big Petraka goals. Yeah, I don't I don't remember him kicking any, like, memorable highlight real goal. Not just Frisch's very even-keeled. He gets open. Week in and week out, he scores. But this will be a tougher assignment for him. I'd love to... I mean, I know Isaac Quainter doesn't have quite the 
the size that Fritch does, even though Fritch isn't a super big guy, but I could totally see Quaynor and Fritch being a really enticing matchup. I want to mention, this is not in any way a knock on Bailey Fritch. Like, he's a really good player, and I'd probably take him over Ash Johnson now. Maybe in a few years that changes with how young Johnson is, but he's just, from an entertainment standpoint, he is a very boring but effective player. I don't think Fritch would take offense to that. Trying to think of a restaurant comparison, and I can't think of one. I guess he's like a Costco rotisserie chicken. Good value. You can do stuff with it. Nothing special on its own. Correct. Although if you <laughs> ate Bailey Fritch for 40 days in a row, like that guy in Philadelphia did with the Costco rotisserie chickens, that would be interesting. Some big returns lined up for both clubs in this one. For the D's, Michael Hibbard was managed. He'll likely be back in. But um, Clayton Oliver... We mentioned him already because he was, you know, Neil Danaher trophy winner last year, but he'll be back from the hamstring injury that only caused him to miss two games, clearly. Very, very quick recovery there, but initially it sounded like the timeline was closer to a month and put him out until after the bye. We'll see how effective he is, the kind of percentage health he appears to be at for this one. The fact that he was able to play through it was was promising, but still, you know, him being ahead of the timeline like that is surprising. Now, there are a couple spots that were vacated. Jake Bowie was concussed last week, and James Harms is serving a one-game suspension for a dangerous tackle. They could bring in some other reinforcements as well, such as James Jordan, who returned via the VFL, and then Jake Melksham and Josh Shackey have both played well at that level, continue to kind of push the envelope. Maybe you see one of them in place of, like, Joel Smith or something. I could see Shackey in place of Smith, getting a bit of a taller matchup there. Though Melksham showed his value in some of the later round games last year. I remember he had a really big outing against Carlton in round 22. He, I think he kicked four in that one, plus had the assist on the winner. On Collingwood's side, Jordan is going to miss three games for that bump on Elijah Hewitt that resulted in a concussion. I don't know how this is only three games if Tom Stewart was four. Then again, Kazi Pickett was two, considering the intent behind that one. I mean, Shane McAdam got three for his. Nathan Broad got three. I don't get it. There's no consistency from the tribunal. I would like have over the AFL house or wherever his office is just like in Wicked Witch of the West lettering, resign Michael Christian. We need Michael Baha'i or Michael Zoroastrian. What about Michael Penis named after his father's penis? I'm Mike Penis. I'm named after my dad's penis. <laughs> I love the concept of Eric Andre determining suspensions. I feel like it would be a really funny gag. I mean, he'd just bring out his wheel again. I don't know if he would. I feel like maybe he'd just start, like, putting pho in people's briefcases like he's done before. Or maybe it just turns out to be an episode, you know, that they're on fart explosion the entire time. But in this case, it's a $5 fine. Nah, he still gives them $5. Yeah, if you've never watched, like, clips from the Eric Andre show, do that. Think in Practical Jokers, but, like, on psychedelics or something. Way more surreal. It's It's weird. But it's like some of the funniest shit you'll ever see. Um, personal favorite skit of all time is the black Scientologist. Turn that poop into one. Turn that poop into one. As for other injury news, Patrick Lipinski could be back this week with like as good as he was last year. It's crazy that Colin would have been so successful with him out with this shoulder injury. Uh, Dan McStay should also be back. He had a finger injury that kept him out way longer than a typical finger injury. It was a tendon in his finger. And, you know, that's not something that you could just kind of wrap up with another one. No, that finger needs time to recover on its own. 
I mean, you could always just like go with the Harry Potter reference, Gilderoy Lockhart, just remove it like like you did with Harry's bones. Or honestly, there is an AFL reference with that because Daniel Chick. Huh? You don't know about Daniel Chick? I don't played follow. For Hawth- played for Hawthorne on the West Coast. Um, His ring finger got dislocated so frequently that in 2002, he had it amputated. Wow. All right, then. Yeah, and he went on to be a really important player in the Eagles 06 Premiership. Uh, Will Hoskin Elliott and Bo McCreary both suffered ankle injuries last week. McCreary was subbed out. Both of those are currently uncertain, but Collingwood's going to have a bit of a list crunch. Like, I mean, they were already having that. You know, when you're normally, if you're 11 and 1, you've probably got more than 23 good options, and they certainly have that. You look at guys like Josh Carmichael, Finley McRae, Harvey Harrison, who made his debut last week, you know, could get sent straight back down to, re- to the reserves. These are good problems to have. Maybe not as fun in the offseason. I mean, Finn will move on to the dogs, I would assume. Pie's favored by one and a half. And while I feel like we're so due for Melbourne to beat these guys in front of a huge crowd, I can never go against Collingwood in this spot. I need to see it to believe it. I feel like it's bound to break at some point. It's just, it's Collingwood in front of a huge crowd at the G. I feel like if Melbourne beats them, actually, I don't know. If Melbourne does win, do you think it's a close game or just like a methodical dispatching? Ah, geez, you know, this is tough because we're so used to Collingwood winning the tight ones. In the home and away season especially, I, I can't see the D's dispatching this one. I can't see, you know, three Max Dawns appearing or Jacob Van Royen getting multiple contested marks and and get, kicking like two or three important goals as much as I like Van Royen. I can see Van Royen having a pretty good game, actually. I think if they win this one, it would be very unsurprising if he's a big part of it. I would love it because I've been super high on, on this kid, you know, since I, you know, went back and, and watched some of the Casey Demon stuff this offseason. I've been wondering, why is he not at this top level? If he can prove himself against that Collingwood defense, that would be really impressive. I'd love for him to, you know, be able to take on Darcy Moore, Nathan Murphy, and win that matchup. I'm just not sure if I see it happening enough times for it to swing the forward 50 battles of the D's favor. I'm excited for this one. This is going to be such a fun end to the round. Hopefully this doesn't end up being, what was the restaurant comparison again? An overpriced steakhouse. You know, if it does end up being an expensive steakhouse, I don't know if it's overpriced because I haven't been there. Um, Does Entrecoat ring any bells, D's fans? All right. I think it's time for our main character predictions as we always do to close out the round preview. You've had me go first these past couple times, Ethan. Yeah, I'm going to say first. I'm going first here, and I'm going to go two players who have been connected so much because one of them just kind of loves the other so much. Kazi and Mason. Correct. I'm going with Kazi Pickett and Mason Cox. I'm not sure how, but there's going to be like, something's going to happen with the two of them together. I can see like Kazi trying to put a bump on Mason and then Mason just like wondering what the hell happens and just ends up hugging him after the stoppage. I mean, Mason also, like he likes to talk shit after goals. It would be really funny if he gets in his favorite player's face. (laughs) I can't see that happening. Yeah, I think it's unlikely, but it's uh, it's improbable, not impossible. My main character for this one, I want to go back earlier in the round. I think we're going to see Jason Horn Francis be a focus again. In the Friday night contest, I think he's going to hear a lot, and I think he's going to step up and be a big reason why Port win. 
All right, don't forget where to find us. We've mentioned it a lot of times. We're going to do it one more for posterity's sake. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatGameBrian. Collectively, we are both on Twitter at Americans Footy. We are also on YouTube at Americans Footy. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. I am also about to edit all this so y'all can hear it because a little bit more of a time crunch this week. Thursday Night Footy is a beautiful thing. Get the three episodes for the week out a little bit sooner. Thank you.